0: We're up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 10. Sometimes there's just no explanation is what uh, Solomon is looking at today. And I dare say that it doesn't take uh, much thought in life to see that some things just don't make sense as we pass through this life. Some of the simple ones, for example, when you drop a piece of toast covered in jam, which way does it drop? Jam first, every time. Or for me, when I put six pairs of matching socks into a washing machine, some phenomenal happens mysteriously and I get five and a half pairs when when I pull them out. I don't know where the other one is. But on a more serious note, why does a man who smoked and drank and ate too much all his life almost enjoy perfect health until he's 90? And yet, to have the person who's been super healthy dies of a heart attack at 42? Sometimes things just don't make sense in this world. Well, the fact is, it's been happening that way for a long time. Because today we continue our journey through the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, we've come to chapter 8. And we're going to see that here in these few verses from 10 to 17 King Solomon is going to share his inspired wisdom-inspired reflections on how to respond when things just don't seem to make sense in our lives. How do we respond when things are happening that we can't make any sense of? Before we go to verse 10, I'd just look down at verse 14. Verse 14 is the crux of this whole passage. This is where Solomon actually sums up his impression that he has of life. I was going to read from the NIV. It says in verse 14, this is his conclusion, in a way. He said, "There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth: righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This, too, I say, is meaningless. That's his thoughts in the, in the middle of this passage. Righteous men who seem to get what the wicked should be getting or wicked men who seem to get what the righteous should be getting. Verse 14 seems to express both Solomon's puzzlement and frustration. Why do good people often go through hard times? Well, bad people, evil people seem to have no troubles at all. They've got all the money they can so They don't see any trouble at all. He says, this is meaningless. It doesn't make sense. I wonder if you agree with Solomon this morning. I wonder if you see this happening in the world, even today. Well, this passage we're looking at this morning is actually, if you remember, the wisest man to have ever been on this earth, now describing how he sees things happening around him. And he starts in verse 10 with, The bad with the evil, who are getting what the good deserve. Verse ten says, "Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had done so." This also is vanity. I want us to remember Solomon is coming to terms with the reality of life. He's having a journey through his journal, and we're only up to chapter eight. We've got a long way to go yet. But he's journeying, and he's finding out it's a painful journey. And in this verse, he's referring to the common experience that maybe we've all witnessed, where a wicked individual is buried and is given an impressive funeral. And that the wickedness of this person's life is glossed over or forgotten, Now some manuscripts, uh, some Hebrew manuscripts, the Septuagint and the Vulgate, all have praised in those verses where it says forgotten. Now you can put a little note, maybe your Bible has a note. The NIV has a helpful paraphrase on this verse. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This is meaningless. This is futile. This is a person who did nasty things right in front of the people who are now praising him as he's being buried. Meaningless, futile, Solomon says, God, I don't understand this. I think uh, more lies are told at funerals than any other occasion sometimes. Now, it's not appropriate usually at funerals to speak the cold, naked truth about that person I understand that but we certainly should avoid saying things which are simply not true. Have you heard the story of a woman who was at the funeral of a husband who had been a notorious wretch and a criminal and a wife beater and on hearing the eloquent eulogy of him what a wonderful man he was she said to her son go up and see if that's your father in the coffin. (laughs) Solomon's point in verse 10 is that the The honor the wicked receive when they die is futile and meaningless. That's what he's trying to get at in verse 10, the first part of verse 10 there. And Solomon thinks he knows why the bad get the good, or the bad get what the good deserve. Because in verse 11, straight after, he writes, because. And so we have to draw those two verses together. In other words, the reason... The wicked receive praise when they're buried is because, verse 11, the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, this is such an honest and accurate observation on human life, isn't it? The sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. And we find abundant examples today of delays in our justice system. A delay which permits a, a criminal to be encouraged to continue to, to do evil. In fact, according to Solomon, slow justice sets the hearts of an evil man to, to continue to do evil. The criminal system in Solomon's time must have been as slow and cumbersome as ours is today and so Solomon, like me, wonders why the Lord doesn't punish evil right away. I know I've said it in, in jest and I know Karen has said it, probably not in jest. That person should be dealt with right right now. What we want as soon as someone does an evil work, we want God to zap them with lightning like John and James did in the scriptures. But the reason I understand that God does not throw thunderbolts from the skies because he is patient. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, as Exodus 34, 6 says. Judgment is coming, maybe sooner than we think, but God is giving more time to repent. But Solomon struggles with this. I struggle with this. Again in verse 14 we have there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. And it still happens today. Probably happens in your own life. We see it on the news. A distracted driver who comes to an intersection and doesn't stop. He hits another car, kills three generations of the one family and he walks away and gets a slap over the wrist, and the small time he has spent in jail, he's appealing against. And our justice system says that's okay. It's meaningless. Or a student who who studies hard and gets a C, while someone else doesn't study at all and cheats and gets an A. Meaningless, vanity. Or you miss out on, a, on your promotion at work because the person you're vying with uh, throws favoritism at the boss there are wicked people who have lots of money and enjoy perfect health while righteous people who have little money are struggling with health problems and whatever else is happening in their lives And and Solomon says that's futility doesn't make sense God But wisdom is on, uh, Solomon is on a wisdom journey. God has given him that wisdom. He's given him wisdom from above. And that wisdom from above we've talked about previously. Well, now that wisdom kicks in in verse 12. He's it's blurted out what he thought in, in verses 10 and 11. And now he says in verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, Yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before Him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will He prolong His days, which are as a shadow, because He does not fear before God. And so Solomon's wisdom kicks in and he thinks about God, and he understands, and Solomon has confidence in the knowledge that God has the ultimate justice. Yes, the evil may live longer than the godly. Yes, the evil may appear to get away with sin after sin and seems to be prospering wonderfully in this world. But let me tell you, the judgment day will come. Amen. And that wicked will, the wicked will not escape that judgment. Their sins will be counted against them. And they'll be banished from God's presence forever in the lake of fire. And this is what Solomon is saying. Even though they might do a hundred times evil, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. It won't be well for those because they, uh, who, who do evil because they do not fear before God. But Solomon is crying out, How long, Lord? How long is this going to happen? How long are the wicked going to keep prospering? How long is injustice going to keep flourishing? How long, O oh Lord? In Psalm 73, the writer of that psalm, Asaph, contrasts to the, uh, the wicked to the end. He contrasts the wicked and the righteous also. I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 73. Leave your finger in Ecclesiastes. I think it would do well for us to read Psalm 73, or at least a portion. This is the psalm that comforts me often when I see the injustices happening around us all. Verse 1 of Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel. Now, this is a psalm to Israel, but there's no problem at all of putting Christian in there. No problem at all. Truly God is good to us as born-again believers. O such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence." For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Asaph is reminding us that although it appears that the wicked are defying God and mouthing at him and saying, There's no knowledge of the Most High God. How does God know these things? And Asaph reminds us that ultimately the Lord will judge them in righteousness and truth. But I want us to understand that Asaph didn't come to this realisation by looking at the circumstances around him. He didn't come to this conclusion by seeing what was happening in the world. He came to that conclusion because he entered into the sanctuary of God. And then when he entered into church, if you like, he perceived their end. The truth is, apart from the scriptures that we hold in our hands, And dare I say, fellowship with you believers. We'll find no peace in this life. If we just look at the circumstances, you will find no peace. Asaph had to go into the sanctuary of God. We have to come into the sanctuary of God. We have to have fellowship with other believers. We have to look at the scriptures. Otherwise, we will not find life or peace in this life. We need God and we need each other. Now I don't know about you but I can certainly relate to Solomon's thoughts here. I want to say to you in the end I know there's no, I'll have no complaints that God has not been fair. I know that. I even believe that of my father who died as a non-Christian. And I believe God is just. And so I have no trouble and no complaints that God is what he's done. I have no trouble believing there's a reason why God allows difficult things to happen in our lives as Christians. I have no doubt that he will bring good out of what happens in our lives. I'm very confident that those who are rebelling against God are not getting away with a thing. Unless they repent and turn to the Lord, they're in big eternal trouble. I know these things. They're up in my head. I often read about them. I often think about them. But when I look and see people who have no use for God and speak down to God and curse God and they're having a great time while people who love the Lord, people in this church go through sickness and struggle with finances and get into a lot of yucky things, ultimate justice, heaven and hell, kind of just don't seem to be enough. I can grasp how it all works in my mind but in my heart... It just doesn't make sense. Why, Lord, do you let the children of God experience so much pain? How long, O oh Lord, will you let those you love suffer? But then Solomon, in all his God giving wisdom, describes how he copes with it. <coughs> how he copes with the seeming injustice. Verse 14. There is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it appears according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it appears according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And here's his answer to it. So I commend enjoyment. Because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink and be merry... For this will remain with him in his labour all the days of his life which God gives him under the sun. So there is a vanity that occurs on this earth so he's recommending having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink and enjoy life. That way we'll be experiencing some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives us under the sun. That's the New Living Translation. Solomon has been contemplating how life often seems senseless. And now his answer is, have fun, enjoy life. Kind of seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But I think it makes a lot of sense. Now I want to make sure you're not misunderstanding Solomon here. This is not justification for the hedonist philosophy of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. Solomon is not saying that. That philosophy is based upon the lie that enjoyment comes from your circumstances. Enjoyment comes from your pleasant circumstances. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. If this book is teaching us anything at all, it's telling us that that's not true. Enjoyment does not come from happy, pleasant circumstances, where everything is going the way you want it to go. That's what the world believes. I can enjoy my life as long as everything's happening the way I want it to happen. And that's what underlines all our television commercials of our day. But no, not according to this book of the Bible. Enjoyment is a gift of God which can accompany even difficult and hard circumstances. And that's why Solomon encourages us to eat, drink and enjoy life. That way you will experience Happiness, along with all the hard work that God gives you. Solomon says, Life is a gift from God. Make the most of it. In other words, if you want to put it in today's words, instead of complaining about what we don't have, we give thanks for what we do have and enjoy it. Seize the day. Cape diem. And if we don't do that, what's the alternative? If we don't enjoy what we have and we're always complaining about what we don't have, the alternative is becoming bitter and cynical and questioning. You're never at peace. You're neurotic in your pursuit of answers. Why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? Instead of going mad, attempting to solve all the mysteries of heaven and earth, which by the way we'll see in verse 17, you can't do anyway, Solomon suggests a simple plan Eat, drink and happily trust God. Enjoy your life. Even though life doesn't always make sense, even though I don't understand everything that God's doing, we can trust Him in His sovereignty, let Him worry about what's going on. So go out and enjoy your favourite meal, enjoy fellowship and enjoy your life. You might have come to the conclusion already that you can't change the present the past or the future. We must trust God and be content within that trust. Life is short, so why make it miserable? Enjoy it. Before we move on, I want to put this into perspective. I want to be painfully realistic about what Solomon is saying in here. Because neither you nor I can grasp God's plan. I want you to understand that. We don't know when God's plan is going to reach its goal. We've sung about a few of the goals that we're looking forward to and we've talked about it, but we don't know when it's going to be reached. We don't know when God's going to deal with the evil that's in this world. We just don't know. But we do know this. We know God will keep his word. Amen? So until then, we eat, we drink, we find happiness and commitment in the simple lifestyle that pastor read out in that passage. Trusting God, living godly. Evil will triumph at times. There are unfair consequences happening all around us. But we need to trust God to see us through. He's working it out. Trust him in it. If you want to just quickly go back to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, I just want to remind us from this earlier section of Solomon's word. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 10. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time, also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God is a mystery. He's made everything beautiful beautiful for us in its time. He's placed eternity in our hearts. He's given us God-given tasks. And so if we miss the eternal perspective of life that we've been talking about and singing about this morning, if we miss that eternal perspective that God has placed in our hearts, then we're going to spend the rest of our lives wringing our hands and waving our fists at God and asking why. Why me, Lord? And protesting, God, how dare you do that to me? And I think that's why Solomon goes on to explain the reason why it's sometimes best to just eat, drink and enjoy life. And that is because from verse 16 on, we can, we're going to see that we can't know the mind of God anyway. Back at chapter 3, no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Look at verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though no one sees no sleep or day or night, in other words, he put a lot of effort into it, then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out. Then sorry, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labours to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So even Solomon as wise as he is understood there's things that he's just not going to understand. Solomon discovered that in the end, man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. God's great knowledge, his immensity overwhelmed Solomon. And so the reality is, stop striving, stop straining, return to the simple faith that God has given us. When things don't make sense to us, when it seems that God is somehow failing to do what we think he's supposed to do, then most likely the problem is not with God, it's with our perception of what we think is right. And the reason is because we don't see see things that are really the way they really are. No matter how smart we are, no matter how experienced we are, are as Christians, no matter how spiritually minded or mature we are, we have a very limited perspective on what God is doing. We don't see things as God sees them, even if we think we do. Now I want to be careful here that I don't confuse anyone at this point. Listen to what the Lord tells us in Deuteronomy 29:29. 29, 29. It's only one verse, just listen. It's a very important verse. Verse uh, Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29 says, "The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law." The things that are revealed to us by God and His Word, they belong to us. These words belong to us. They're revealed to us and they're for us and our children forever. And through the Bible, God has told us certain truths that we can comprehend and we can know, we can read them. There's absolutely no reason to be ignorant or sceptical or wishy-washy what God has clearly spoken. For example... Is homosexual behaviour wrong? The answer to that question is, yes, it's wrong. How do I know that? Well, not because I say so. It's because God has told us in the Scriptures that homosexual behaviour is wrong. Nothing what I say. That's something that's been revealed in the Scriptures. Is it wrong for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? Yes. Yes. Not because I say it, but because God says so. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Second Corinthians six fourteen. So if someone comes and asks me, who are you to say that homosexual behavior is wrong? Or who are you to say that Christians should not marry unbelievers? Who are you to say that God created the universe? Who are you to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? My answer is I'm not anyone, actually. You're right, I have no authority to say those things. I can't say those absolute statements. But God can. God does. He has that authority. And these are statements He has made to us in His Word and we take people to them. These are things that have been revealed. They belong to us. They belong to you and I. So what are the things that belong to God? What are those things that we can't discover? What are those things we can't understand, no matter how smart we are or how wise we are? Well, I found out that a lot of them have to do with the why question. Why did the Lord allow this to happen to me? Why are good people often treated as though they're wicked? Why are wicked people treated as though they're good? God knows the answer to that question. We don't. There are many, many things in life that don't make sense and Solomon is bringing a couple to you. And the primary reason that these things don't make sense to us is because God says in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The unknown things that Deuteronomy 29:29 says, God has them. They're not for us. And so no matter how much education we have, no matter how hard you study, you will not be able to figure out God's ways. Some things are God's business. They're not ours. Our business is what's been revealed in the, Christ- in the Scriptures. Our business is to live each day growing closer to the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we do what we can to make this world a better and fair place. Yes, we share the gospel, but we trust God to work out his plan and make things right in his time. Solomon is saying, friends, when things don't make sense, when life just doesn't seem fair, when we wonder why God doesn't do things differently the way that we want them to be done, When we're tempted to just give up, we need to remember what the Lord is saying. In a paraphrase, he's saying, my beloved child, don't panic. Trust me. Enjoy what I've given you. Have some fun. Enjoy life. And believe that I have a plan which I guarantee you will come together. This is what Solomon is sharing with us. And I go as far as to say, even when the plan does to get come together, I'm still not sure I'll totally understand it all. But we should be perfectly content knowing it makes sense to God. What a comfort that is. That, my friends, is a contentment we all should seek to cultivate in our lives. I want to be content knowing that things make sense to God, even though they don't make sense to me at times. And I guess the prayer is, may that contentment be growing in each of our lives from today and evermore. A wonderful passage that Solomon has given us, asking us to understand that what's happening is in God's hands, not ours. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we have such wonderful writings of wisdom writings shared with us that we have written down and yes Lord we do see the the wicked seemingly prospering seemingly having no difficulties in this life we see the righteous who struggle who go through times that they don't deserve And yet, Father, you, through your word, have given us the the courage to know that there are times and things that we don't know, we don't understand. But the wicked, even though a hundred times over they continue to do evil, Father, you have said that all will be well with those who fear God. We thank you for the comfort that we've received this morning, the comfort and the knowledge that Every born-again believer will be called up to, to glory, that we'll meet the Lord in the air, whether it be in the rapture or whether it be after death. We will be with the Lord forever. Great comfort. We don't know when it will happen, but in the meantime, Lord, we ask you to help us to always remember the, in the knowledge that not everything that happens in this world can be explained by us. But we trust you, Lord, trust you explicitly in the knowledge that you are indeed our great and awesome God, that you are indeed seated on the throne at this very moment. We thank you for that knowledge. We thank you for that picture of of you seated with your son, seated at your right hand, interceding for each one of us. Lord, what a glorious picture that is. We look forward to one day understanding a lot more than we do now, and we see you face to face, we will know as you know. All things will be made clear. But until then, Lord, help us to understand the Scriptures and leave the things that are unknown to you. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.